0: Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Uh, Needless to say, last Sunday of the year, uh, heading into New Year's Eve, and uh, a new year, a new decade, as I, as I said, day after tomorrow. For many of us, possibly it's a time to reflect on the past or maybe just digest the food that we ate at Christmas, uh, either way, and uh, look with some type of anticipation into the future. And uh, like many people, maybe like many churches or certainly pastors, it's kind of our job to do this. Uh, had some time in November, December, just uh, giving God an opportunity to speak and say, Lord, is anything you're wanting to let me know uh, about next year. In fact, we had a time here, one of our worship evenings, um, Harp and Bowl, uh, where Jay said, all right, everyone just give God a chance to speak to them, something about 2020. And hearing God isn't an exact science. And for those of you who know me, it's quite rare. It does happen, but it's rare that you actually hear me get up and say, the Lord told me, okay? Or I get up and say, God spoke this to me. And while we believe in God speaking... Um, and we believe in what we call the prophetic, which is basically God speaking. I'm also a pastor, so I understand that there's times where if you just say, God said this, God said this, God said this, God said this, you've got a good number of people who sit in the church and who are like, that intimidates me because I'm not that confident to speak like that. And so as a pastor, while sometimes I'm really confident when God speaks, I also want to shape my language a bit and articulate it in a way that's a little bit more approachable. So this is what I'm going to say. At that prayer meeting, when Jay said, let's see if God says something to you about 2020, I had a thought. (laughs) A thought came to me. Okay. And sometimes I know, or I'm more confident to know when God's speaking to me, when I have thoughts at a supersonic rate. It's like I had 10 thoughts, all really quick. Um, some of you have been in prayer meetings when I've led them before, and I'm like, all right, let's give God a chance to speak and go. All right, what did he say? Uh, because, because sometimes the longer you linger, the more different voices you hear. And, and for me, at least, God has a habit of speaking and speaking fast. And so when Jay said, listen, what does God say to you about 2020? I had about 10 consecutive thoughts in a split second, and this is how I went, How it went. <clears throat> 2020 is half of 40. 40 is a generation. There's a negative generation in Exodus that wandered the wilderness for 40 years, but David fulfilled the purposes of God in his generation because he led for 40 years. 2020 is halfway and it's like half time, like a scrum match in between where you audit and give an account to where you're at in God's pur- fulfilling God's purposes. After all, as we all know, 20 is the age of accountability. In the, uh, in the story of the Exodus, it was only those over 20 who were accountable to serve in the army or who were accountable to not move on into the promised land. So 2020 is an accounting time to consider whether I'm fulfilling the purposes of God in my generation and that's the verse that came to me. (laughs) Kind of like that, all right? And so that's kind of the, the sequence and so this week I looked up that passage of scripture that talks about David fulfilling God's purposes in his generation his generation and it's found in the book of acts in chapter 13 what i'm going to do is i'm going to read that whole passage because i'm a bible guy and i don't believe it's particularly healthy just to quote half a verse and give a sermon on it because then you can make people believe anything all right so what i'm going to do is i'm going to read the whole passage of acts 13 we're going to get some scripture today it is the apostle paul's very first recorded sermon Okay, so it has a significant for a number of reasons. I'm going to read it and then I'll explain a bit and encourage you as you head into 2020 to take stock of your life as we work with others, as we come together at halftime to account and audit how I, like David, am going to fulfil God's purposes in my generation. So it can be said of me, When I'm the one having a memorial service, this person fulfilled God's purposes in their time. They have run their race well. I want to be that kind of person, and I feel like 2020 has an element of that to it for us. So that's where I'm going today. Are you good? If you have a Bible, the book of Acts, it's easy to find. Find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's about 70% of the way through the Bible. And uh, it's just after there, for those of you who don't have your Bible, because, hey, you're on holidays, let's uh, read, read from the screen. You following me okay? G'day! Okay, what am I going to read? Uh, Acts 13, 13, that's a good way to start, okay. This is Paul, who's one of the leading Christian figures in the New Testament, he's probably the most influential preacher in all Christian history. All right, we're going to read his first sermon here. From a place called Paphos, Paul and his mates sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On Saturday, they entered the synagogue and sat down. Synagogue um, basically was a Jewish thing that emerged, meh, let's say about 100 BC, something like that. Okay, after the Old Testament comes to an end, uh, it's around about 400 BC. They didn't know that at the time, but it was, okay? And, uh, and during that next 400 years before Christmas comes along, there's a whole bunch of political stuff that happens. Alexander the Great comes through and sort of uh, pillages and plunders the whole region. And then he dies and four people take over from him. And then the Jewish people, who we read about mostly in the Bible, they have their own time of independence where they start to run the show again. And it's during that time... Uh, that they build these things called synagogues, which in a little bit, if you can think of it, a little bit like a local church, all right? So it's not a big temple, but it's a square building, and they had uh, deck, uh, deck, not deck chairs, benches around the around the sides, okay? And the important people would sit on the chairs and everyone else would sit on the floor, all right? Apparently they didn't have Chinese uh, manufacturing making blue plastic chairs really cheap back then, right? So they kind of sat on the floor. And so this synagogue, Paul Rock's up there, and this guy is a trained rabbi. He's a trained Jewish teacher and he's still got the beard and he still looks the part. And so they, the guys who are running the show uh, look at him and say... Paul, it looks like you've got something to share. Why don't you take the microphone? It's open mic Saturday today. Lucky you. All right. So that's what we're going to read now. They go to the synagogue. Verse, uh, What are we up to? Verse 15. After reading from the law and the prophets, basically the Old Testament, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, have a go. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand <coughs> and said... Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. First thing, if you're a budding preacher to know, Paul shows us here is that you need to know your audience. Paul knew who he was talking to. All right, He knew who he was speaking to in this context. Even though he was a stranger in that town, he knew something about them, so he knew his audience. It's a really important thing for all communication. Know who you're talking to. Verse 17. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors, probably means Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that type of Old Testament, those of you who know the Old Testament. He chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power. He then led them out of that country, Moses. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. Okay, You're going to read that story in the book of Numbers. It's the third book in the fourth book. It's one of the first five books in the Bible, right? And um, and these guys that Charlton Heston leads out of Egypt, basically they get to the desert and they start to whinge and whine. And God says, "For forty years, you now you're going to stay in the desert." And from that day onwards in the Bible, forty years becomes synonymous mm-hmm. with a generation. Okay, so that's why the number forty in a Jewish Hebrew Bible mindset should say it speaks of a generation because God says for 40 years you're going to be in the desert until I'm done with that generation. Okay, that's what he's writing about here. For about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years, so now we're in the book of Joshua. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Um, The book of Judges... After you do Moses' books, Joshua goes in the promised land, and then you have the book of Judges. And Judges tells the story of 12 rulers who ruled God's people after Josh, right? And uh, Samuel was the last of them. So he was number 13. He was the greatest of all the judges, but he wasn't one of the 12, Okay, so he's a little bit like Paul the Apostle, for those of you who are Bible students. A little bit like Paul the Apostle. He wasn't one of the twelve, but he was greater than all the twelve. And Samuel's like that. The greatest judge, but not one of the twelve in the book of Judges. You, he gets his own book. After... Re- you following me, okay? We're just having a chat, all right? This is just normal Bible study here. After removing Saul... No, hang on. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel. Then the people asked for a king... And he gave them Saul, son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled how long? There's this real coincidence in the Old Testament that there's about 12 to 13 people that ruled for 40 years. Now, we don't know whether that's exactly 40 years or we don't know whether that's the Old Testament way of just saying a generation. Okay, it could be a round number, you can talk about that at a lunch, whatever. Uh, Saul reigns for 40 years. After removing Saul, he then made David their king. God testified concerning him, I've found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. As the Americans would say, heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, David, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even unworthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us... That this message of salvation has been sent the people of jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize jesus yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every sabbath how many of you know that easter was no surprise for god okay these people just fulfilled a lot of the prophecies of the old testament though they found no proper ground for a death sentence They asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But. But. Two favourite words in the Bible. But God. That can be your memory verse for the year, okay? But God. But God. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem they are now his witnesses to our people. It's a profound thing that Jesus could not have faked his death and the disciples couldn't have faked it because they preached the resurrection of Jesus in the very same place where his body was buried. So all the people had to do to prove them wrong was to roll the stone away and produce the body. Okay? If you want to start a lie, if you want to start a deception, you do it far away from the evidence. If you want to con people as to your identity, you don't do it in Victor Harbor where you've lived for 30 years. Okay, You go to another place and claim to be something. You can deceive people who don't know you. These guys weren't being deceptive about the resurrection. They preached it in the same place where Jesus' body was buried because that is an absolute truth of Jesus' resurrection. So there it is. God raised him from the dead. Many people had seen him. Verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled... For us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You're my son, today I've become your dad. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it's also stated elsewhere, You will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Just follow the logic here. Um, He's quoting Psalms that say your Holy One will never see decay. And so there was a thought maybe that's talking about King David never dying because at the time King David was, oh, he was awesome. We don't want this era to end. And Peter's here saying, "Nah, he died, he decayed. That prophecy was not for David. It was for one of David's descendants whose name is Jesus. Okay, so that's kind of the logic there. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. You could meditate on that for a long time. Through Jesus, every sin, every sin. Every sin. Verse 40. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if somebody told you. And he's basically finishing his sermon here with a warning, an application, to say, listen, I've told you some good news, I've told you a story, I've told you some good news, make sure you do the right thing with this good news. Okay? Make sure you do the right thing with it and don't block your ears to what God Is wanting to say. A warning we would do well to heed today. Dad, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for speaking to me, not only a timeless truth, but a timely truth. I'm open to hear you and I'm open to learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of things about this sermon from Paul. It starts... By him knowing his audience. Good point. It finishes by him knowing the point he's trying to make. Therefore, I tell you, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is found. How many of you have sat through enough sermons to know, I wish more preachers knew their point? Some, some of you hear me say often, here's the point, all right? If, if I'm getting a bit boring, I just want you to yell that out to me. What's the point, preacher? Okay, what's the point? Because in between him knowing his audience... And him making his point, he tells this whole story about the history of God's people, literally from Abraham all the way through Moses to David and ultimately to Jesus. He tells what we call in literary circles the meta-narrative of the scripture. It's the big story of scripture. He tells a big story to give people perspective and then he zooms in to make his point to say, therefore, this is what I'm saying. And central to this big picture is a character called David ultimately his point is to talk about Jesus that's the answer to every question i ask jesus all right his point here is to get to jesus and to say through jesus forgiveness of sins found but central to the story the meta narrative right in the middle is this guy called david all right and that's the guy that i want to look at today in fact in biblical history david pretty well is in the center of biblical history Okay, in this story, he starts at Abraham, and in very rough figures, Abraham's about 2000 BC. Okay, rough figures, 2000. David is at 1000 BC, and Jesus is at four or five, six, seven. We're not too sure. Okay, Jesus is neutral. Okay, uh, sometimes we have we call it BC, and then AD. Okay, the Latin's uh, that's the Latin for anno domini, which means anyone know? The year of our Lord. Okay, the year of our Lord. In some literary circles, you're going to see the phrase CE, okay, which means Common Era. It's basically a PC way of saying uh, Jesus isn't Lord, so we call this the Common Era because that's where the most common uh, calendars, the Gregorian calendar, starts. So sometimes you read about CE, sometimes AD. The point is, Jesus is born at zero. Let's just say David's here at a thousand. And Abraham's over it at 2,000. David is the central figure. And uh, some of you who were at Christmas services last week heard a reading from Gospel of Matthew where it talks about Jesus being born in the line of David. How many of you heard from Matthew chapter 1? And it says, Abraham begat, 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 begat to David. Begat, 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 begat to Jesus, okay? It's the, it's the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and it breaks it down into three lots of 14 generations. Have you ever read that before? How many of you think that's a real weird coincidence? Three lots of 14. And then you read the Old Testament and you realise it's not accurate. It wasn't three lots of 14. And what some people believe Matthew's doing there is his setting it up at three lots of 14 generations because David, the name David, if you add up the value of the letters, equals 14. The Hebrew, Every Hebrew letter has a number, it's 646 or something, and so it adds up to 14. So some people believe he's having a subtle, it's, it's called gematria, it's a bit of a side thing, you don't have to worry about it too much. But, um, but it's this idea of him setting up the number 14 because it speaks of David. What's the point, Chad? What's the point? The point is that this guy, David is really key to understanding Jesus. He's the central character of Hebrew history and uh, he's obviously very key in the lead-up to who Jesus was. And there's a couple of statements in here about David I would like us to take to heart. Verse 22 says this. After removing Saul, he made David their king. One of the things that led David to be a man that fulfilled God's purpose in his generation was that he knew God had made him something. He knew God had called him something and therefore what God has given, no one can take away. You need to know this morning that God has called you. You need to know this this morning that God has chosen you and he's not just chosen you for a general purpose, he's chosen you for a very specific purpose also. And you might be, as we all are, in the process of discovering what that unique purpose is. But please know this, God has chosen you. God has hand-selected you. It's the picture of adoption that we know so well from the book of Ephesians. Parents choose the kid. They say, I want you to be my kid. And that's what God did with you. He chose you to be his own. David fulfilled the purposes of God in this generation because he had a confidence to know God chose me. Reminds me of what Paul says of himself in Corinthians where he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. God chose me. God's grace calls me to be something I couldn't be without him and to do something I couldn't do without him. And whether you like it or not, whether you recognize it or not, I live in the confidence that I know God has called me. God has chosen me. And that should give you a great confidence as you walk into an uncertain year. God, no matter what, there's a lot of uncertainty ahead of me, this I know, God chose me to be his. I'm in his hands. God chose me. God made David. He chose David to be the king of a community. Second thing we see, God made David their king. Your purpose largely is found in community and in relationships of those around you. Your purpose is not devoid of relationship with others. God did not make David king, he made David their king. His purpose had a community context to it. His purpose had a community context. And as I'm going to say today, I think one of the reasons that David was able to fulfil God's purpose in his generation was because he knew the relationships that God had placed him in. He knew the people that God had placed in his life and he conducted himself with honour in those situations. This is a popular verse among the Romantics. It says, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. And while many people might discuss what being a person after God's heart means, the fact is the answer is given there straight away. Being after God's heart, what does that look like? It looks like someone who will do whatever God wants them to do. Sometimes being a person after God's heart, yes, means lifting your hands in worship. That's what I mean that sometimes the the conversation about a man after God's heart is often for the romantics. Again, it's that American accent thing, you know, the heart of God. (laughs) Lean into God's heart. I think Americans really have the heart thing well because it sounds more gentle than when we say it. (laughs) You know, God's heartbeat, the Father's heart, you know, and we're like, the Father's heart doesn't quite have the same doesn't quite have the same gentleness to it. So we're more like, just get to the point. Don't stop talking about my heart. But one of the things about being a heart person or having a heart after God is just saying, I'll do whatever God tells me to do. And if God wants me to lift my hands and worship, and that's what it means to be after his heart, I'll do that. If God wants me to put my hand on a toilet brush and clean a bathroom, then I'll do that. If God wants me to put my hand in my pocket and give generously, I'll do that. If God wants me to help somebody in need, with my I'll do that. I'll just do whatever it is, whether it's a romantic expression, whether it's a very practical expression. Being a person after God's heart is just saying, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And this is something about the nature of David. But the keys to his success, and this is where I just do my three-point message here. The key to David's success was that he was able to love and respect those that God had put in his life. That's what I want to leave you with today. David, as you read his story, was able to love and respect those who had played a role in his past, those who God had connected with him in his present, and those who were going to come after him and build into his future. If you're not reading anything at the moment, go home and read the story of David, because you'll see him giving great love and respect to these two men in this verse. A man called Saul and a man called Jesse. These were two father figures that went before him. They were men who contributed to his past and yet they did not treat him in the greatest of ways. Jesse, as you know the story, gathered all his sons together when the prophet said, one of your sons is going to be king and he forgot little Davy boy. His dad just forgot about him, didn't even consider David. This is the father figure that he had, Jesse. He then went to serve King Saul, and King Saul seemed to have what we call David derangement syndrome and just seemed to have it in for him, always finding something wrong with David and sought to destroy him no matter how loyal and how faithful he was. And yet David, when he had an opportunity to get back at Saul, as you know famously, he respected and honoured who Saul was and didn't allow his heart to grow bitter to such a point that when Saul ultimately and eventually died, he truly wept for him. That, vo- that verse that says, My, how the mighty have fallen, comes when David weeps for King Saul because David had a, knew something that many of us need to understand. To fulfil God's purpose in your generation, it's important to demonstrate love and respect to those who played a part in your past love and respect and love simply means that you want what is best for that person see even when people are hurting you me even when people are hurting me i can still have the choice to go i want what's best for them and saul was out to get david many times made attacks on his life and yet david somehow kept his heart pure to say i want what's best for saul And that doesn't mean that he always trusted Saul because David ran away from him. That was the wise thing to do. Sometimes the wise thing was to give distance, but he still wanted what was best for him. He also demonstrated great respect. And respect basically means that we can speak the best of someone. We can speak what will bring out the best in someone. Many of us know with the struggle of the scripture that talks about honouring your father and mother, when some of us find hard reason to do that. And yet the word honour is just about giving weight to who someone is and what they've done. It doesn't mean lying. It doesn't mean avoiding the truth. You can be honest about someone's weaknesses and honest about someone's strengths, but speak the strengths over them to try to bring out the best in them. We have an issue in our society with the whole baby in the bathwater syndrome. You see something negative in someone... And you just throw them away. Hey? Okay, so so a politician says something brash, or a politician makes a mistake, and that's it. Everything about them is evil now. Everything about them is wrong. No, no, no. You can be honest and you can say this guy has strengths and this person has weaknesses. The two things can be true at once. Noah can be a great dad who heard God and built an ark and saved his family. Awesome noah can also be a drunk who lies naked in his tent and embarrasses us as his kids both of those things are true okay yet i can still love my dad noah and i can still choose to respect him to bring out try to bring out the best in him and that was the challenge that his sons faced dad he had good parts he had bad parts it's not neglect it's not denying the negative it's just choosing to speak the best of that tries to bring the best out of that person, David seemed determined to not throw out the baby the bathwater and still love and respect Saul and it seems love and respect his dad as well. What's the point, Chad? (laughs) A key to fulfilling God's purpose in our generation as we meet for half time today is to consider the relationships of our past, those who have contributed to bring me where I am be honest that there's some strengths. Be honest that there's some weakness. But still choose to love and respect those who have contributed to where I am today. David also had this amazing knack of loving and respecting those whom God had put around him in the now. There's this terrible story at the end of the book of, first book of Samuel where David and his men go out from their camp and then come back. And while they're away... Someone came and stole all their stuff, including their wives and kids. Wives, plural. I won't go into that today. Don't worry about it. Including their wives and kids. And they were absolutely gutted. As you can imagine, we've got families like that close to us in the region at the moment, just lost everything, okay? They were like that, absolutely gutted, lost everything. And David said, we're going to go get it back. And of the 600 men in the army that he had, 200 of them were so knackered, they said, we can't go. We, we, we're not we're not gonna go. And David said, No worries. He goes and he brings everything back. He conquers, he he brings back more than what they'd lost. And some people who'd fought with him said, Those two hundred slackers that stayed behind, they shouldn't get anything. They bailed on us. They were too tired. And David said, no. Nah. These guys have been faithful to us. These guys were just too tired at this chance. And even though They felt they couldn't go. They're still going to share in the spoils. David made a law that day. And there's just something about knowing that even when some friends bail out on you, he knew what it was to encourage himself in the Lord. it says in that story, and still be there for them. Even when others aren't with me, I am still somehow responsible to keep myself encouraged and pull myself together to make sure that I can be there and bring other people together. There's just something about the honour and the respect that David had for those whom God had placed with him, even when they had let him down in that time. And I wonder whether over this 2019-2020 season, whether we can look at people that are in our lives now and we can say, Lord, how can I... Love and respect the people that you've given to me today. Those who are fighting alongside me, those who may have actually disappointed me this year, but I'll find encouragement in the Lord to love and respect them regardless. There just seems to be something about the heart of David that comes out in that story. David knew what it was to love and respect those who'd gone before him in his past He knew something about what it was to love and respect those who God had placed in his present and not take them for granted. And then he also knew what it was to look forward to the future and in love and respect, prepare the way for those who were going to outlive him. His son Solomon God had spoke to David about building a temple and gave him the whole picture as to how it was meant to go. And yet God said to him, mate, while I've given you the plans and I've given you the money and while I've given you the vision for it, you're not going to be the one to do it. I want you to set up your son to succeed. Set up your son to succeed. And there's something about David knowing that he was going to finish his race, 40 years as it was, and know that part of his race was to prepare the next generation to go beyond him. His uh, wife, wife Bathsheba, who it seems wrote the last chapter of Proverbs, knew the same thing. She wanted to share the wisdom that she had developed in her life with her boy, setting him up for success for the future. There's something about David that Fulfilling God's purpose in my generation involves setting up the next. My race is not finished until I've prepared others to take on the baton ahead of me. I wonder if over this New Year's period we can consider these three areas because I, for one, do want to be known as someone that fulfilled God's purpose in my generation. Not fulfilled my purpose. Fulfilled God's purpose in my generation. See, a lot of us, our Western mindset is, Lord, show me my purpose. What's my purpose? Give me my purpose. What's my purpose? And yet this verse all this time has said, David didn't fulfill his purpose. He fulfilled God's purpose in his generation. And in doing so, of course, he fulfilled his purpose. The focus is, God, what is your purpose on the earth? And I think part of the key to David doing that well was that he knew the people that God had placed in his life before, during, and after. He carried his heart toward them of love and respect. You're going to hear that word a bit this year in church. Love and respect for those in his past. Love and respect for those around him right now. And love and respect as he built people into the future and i think there's something in there about being after god's heart fulfilling our purpose and fulfilling his purpose in our generation i've got a feeling there's something in there for us ultimately of course david's great legacy was that he in helping solomon and his kids built the great dynasty that would bring about Jesus. He actually affected eternity by the way he lived his life. He affected eternities. We think about the future. Let's also keep that in mind. How am I living today that will affect eternity? Chad, what's your point? What's your point, Chad? A couple of weeks ago, Jay said, (laughs) what do you think is on God's heart for 2020? As she said that, I saw the number 40, which speaks of a generation. And I don't want to be a part of a generation that wastes, wastes my life wandering in deserts. I want to be like David, who fulfills God's purpose in my generation. Because I know that my time's limited. 40 years, I want to fulfill God's purpose in my generation. 2020 is like a half-time scrum. It's like a halftime listening to the coach, considering how the game's gone so far in the past, looking at where we're at now, and then considering what's coming up next. Fulfilling God's purpose is a team sport. It's a team sport. God has placed people in our lives. And so my encouragement to you is to use today as a huddle to personally reflect on the people that God has placed in your life in the past, those who God has placed with you now and how we are building to help those coming after us. I wonder if over these next few days we can spend some time to look back and maybe step out of our comfort zone to thank people that have contributed to our past. Maybe some of us need to see out this decade by demonstrating some love and respect to people that have contributed to who we are today. Maybe some of us need to be mindful of people who God's placed in our life right now and don't take them for granted. One of the good things, (laughs) one of the helpful things about a funeral or a memorial service is it kind of reminds us not to take for granted the people that we have in our life today. Let's not wait for a funeral to do that. Maybe we can use today as a chance to not take people for granted. And then to reflect on the future and go, Lord, how am I building? I'm wondering if God can speak to you on one of those areas today. Because if you can do one of those, one out of three, as Meatloaf said, that's not bad. Two? Two out of three, how bad are you? Two out of three. Two out of three is twice as good, isn't it? Um, why don't you stand to your feet and let's pray. Is my wife here? No? Thank you, Malcolm. (laughs) All right, let's hear God speak. Okay, good, what did he say? Nah. Okay. Why don't you, I don't know what you want to do. Put your hand on your heart. Do you know the person next to you well enough to hold their hand because they're someone that you appreciate in your life? If you don't know them, just maybe not. It's a bit hot, we're all a bit sweaty. Hey. (laughs) Um, Dad, we thank you that today is a significant day. Today is significant. And I am not here by mistake today. I've not taken everything in, but there is something that you want me to hear. And like David, there is something you want me to do. Today, as we've sung, and even now as we pray, I commit my heart to you again. I want to be someone after your heart. I want to be someone that does everything you want me to do. Because you are majesty. I don't just sing that, I mean that. You are my king. I pray you'd speak to me right now about some action you want me to take from today. Whisper that to my heart and I commit myself now to carry it out. And then ultimately, Dad, while we've been focusing today on David, I thank you that the greatest contribution he's made to our planet is that he provided a genealogy and a pathway for Jesus to come. I thank you today that in Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed and received. Today, with communion fresh in our mind, we thank you ultimately for Jesus who committed himself to give his life and obey your will so that future many, many multiple millions of people could come into your kingdom. And I'm happy to be one of them today. And I'm really grateful. As I look back, I'm grateful. As I look forward, I'm excited. And as I look today, I rejoice because this is the day that the Lord has made. Today, I thank you. In Jesus' name.